Today we'll be talking about the Continental Congress and the Articles of Confederation. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey everybody, I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Jason Goff. Let's get into it. So, before we get begin at all talking about the U.S. presidential elections, we need to back up really to early colonial British life. Basically, the colonies were owned by England. The first colony was actually established uh, in Virginia in 1607. Um, there's lots of different reasons why people came over, but one of the biggest reasons is because England likes expansion. And uh, things do sail along pretty smoothly for a while. Relations are pretty good. Yeah, and England, of course, in this whole era, um, they were always going uh, to war with France uh, all around the world. But specifically in North America, uh, they went to war with the French over some territory, and France loses. Yeah, I think uh, growing up, uh, and even probably into uh, later in high school, I don't think I really realized that the uh, French and Indian War was actually fought um, in North America, uh, or the Seven Years' War, wh- whatever name you want to give to it. Um, uh, it just always seemed to me like that should have been something that was uh, off somewhere else, Yeah, uh, not here in North America. Yeah, it's really, really strange. Yeah, and they really brought over just all of the garbage that was going on in Europe. I mean, they just, they brought it over and um, got the got the Native Americans involved. <laughs> Other countries as well. Yeah, uh, you got Spain sitting over there going, what? <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, what happens usually after a war if you don't have a bunch of money uh, and I mean, England did have a bunch of money, but uh, a- after the war, England's left with a bunch of debt, and they figure, hey, well, we we incurred this debt because of the colonies, essentially. Um, why don't we start taxing them for it? Hey, that's a great idea," said the king. So they passed the Stamp Act to the colonies, and they say it started taxing the colonies in 1765. And the colonists were upset because they said, hey, whoa, wait a second here. We're not getting any representation. So, hey, Ben, did you know this about the Stamp Act? This is the official name of the Stamp Act. It's an act for granting and applying certain stamp duties and other duties in the British colonies and plantations in America. And I'm not going to keep on going. It's a very yeah, it's like, long form. It's really name. long. <laughs> It really is. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, it'd be nice if they just had called it like Stamp Act number 1464 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So really, all you need to know is it was a tax on colonial America, and it required that many printed materials in the colonies be produced on stamped paper that was produced in London, and it, that carried an embossed revenue stamp. And those printed materials included legal documents, magazines, playing cards, newspapers, and 
other types of paper. So pretty much, if it's paper, you're getting taxed on it. Boom. Uh, so obviously, the colonists do not like this, and they, they pretty much rebel a little bit. Uh, so then the Townsend Act comes next uh, for some more taxes. And what do you think? The colonists also pretty much reject it and don't recognize it. So uh, the king's sitting over there and he says, you know what? I think we should probably send some troops over to Boston to enforce this stuff. And so then the troops come over and they're just kind of hanging out for a while. Yeah. And so in 1773, the Tea Act is imposed. Now, previously, all of the tea from the East India Tea Company, you remember learning about that in school, um, it had to be sold in London, and that's where it was taxed. Then the merchants would buy it. They would ship it across the ocean, jack up the prices, and resell it. So now you've got colonists not only paying import taxes, they're paying sales taxes, they're paying for the upped prices, they're paying for the additional fees that, they're, that the uh, company is being charged in England, they're paying for the additional fees that the merchants who bring it across the ocean are being charged, and the colonists just say, okay, we're done, we're not paying all these ridiculous prices anymore, um, we're going to buy it elsewhere. And the British government says, okay, that's smuggling, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, so the colonists, let's, let's start calling them patriots, how's that sound? All right. Yeah, I like that. All right. Yeah. I like that. So the Patriots are like, hey, Britain, <laughs> we're going to throw the tea into Boston Harbor. So the Boston Tea Party happens and stuff gets thrown overboard all over the place, literally. Yeah. And it became known as the Boston Tea Party because they were the first. They were the instigators. They were the ones who kind of uh, who started it. But uh, it really did spread to other docks and harbors. Yeah, and, and just to show some of that tension, it really comes out in the naming of um, these declarations that were stated by Parliament. So over in, in Great Britain, Parliament um, enforce, creates the Coercive Acts, and growing up in the States, we would know it more as the Intolerable, intolerable Acts. So the Intolerable Acts consisted of the Boston Port Act, the Massachusetts Government Act, the Administration of Justice Act, and the Quartering Act. So we could do whole episodes on each of these acts, but we won't. Uh, real quickly, quickly, we'll just say that the Boston Port Act means the port is closed until the East India Company is repaid. The Massachusetts Government Act means uh, there's pretty much no more government in Massachusetts unless it's under extreme micromanagement by the British government. The administration of justice means that royal officials, if they have any trials that have to be had, they are allowed to have them in Great Britain. Uh, George Washington actually affectionately referred to this as the Murder Act because he kind of felt like uh, if they brought over um, witnesses from the, the colonies, the British government could just abuse them and send them back or kill them or whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and then there was the Quartering Act, which allowed... Uh, any governor in the colonies to house soldiers in unoccupied buildings. Yeah, so all of these acts were, I mean, obviously, if somebody were to do that to us today, we would we would stand up and fight. And so for really um, the first time, the colonies banded together and they created an organization called the Continental Congress. So this newly formed association of colonial governments um, was a coordinated effort to resist British rule. And this happened in 1774. So they 
wanted to balance the interests of the colonies. Um, they wanted to be a official liaison uh, to Great Britain and, and really the rest of the world. And so for the first two years, because as we all know, the Declaration of Independence didn't come around until 1776, the, the Continental Congress was, was really the first organization that, that stood up to the British. And so the, uh, the Continental Congress first meets in Philadelphia. Uh, September 4th, 1774 was the first date. And they have delegates from the colonies uh, with the exception of Georgia. Georgia says, uh, we can't come right now. Yeah, and the reason being was is a, really a political thing. They were dependent on Britain for military supplies to fight the Creek Native Americans, they um, who were infuriated uh, by what they perceived as an unfair deal struck between the colonial authorities and the Greek and Cherokee chiefs that required them to move off their traditional lands along the uh, along the Savannah River. So, the Georgians were really trying to play politics and get all that they could to not anger the British authorities. So I don't want to pick on Georgia too much here. Uh, keep in mind during this era, opinions about being governed, being governed by the British, it was still pretty popular. Uh, the opinions shifted dramatically as people became aware of the intolerable acts and, and some of the other things the British were doing. So just a, a few short months later, Georgia was on board, and and we have uh, the colonies really united against the British. So the first meeting of the Continental Congress, uh, they adopt this measure called the Articles of Association. And they say, okay, if the intolerable acts uh, are not repealed by, oh, let's say next December, December 1st, 1774, we're going to boycott British goods, and we're not going to take any other stuff uh, onto our land anymore. And so the Articles of Association also outline plans for uh, an embargo on exports. Um, they didn't want to even export anything uh, if they were not repealed before seven, uh, 1775, September. And so uh, these are really the first kind of actions that the, the uh, Continental Congress puts into place. Yeah. So – and keep in mind at this time too that – this was not necessarily a battle against the king. It, it was of sorts, but the Continental Congress was really voicing their opposition against Parliament because Parliament is who instituted the Intolerable Acts. So what do they do? They call up the king and they say, hey, please, can, can we work together here? Can we, can we reason together and – and get this abolished. And I mean, think about it. It's that's the logical thing to do. Nobody really wants to say to their powerful leader and country that has given them uh, this land and has helped them uh, fight off uh, aggressors. That nobody wants to say, "Okay, uh, by the way, guys, we're just done with you. Let's go to war. Let's get a bunch of people killed." The the real point of this all was to try and come to agreeable terms that both sides thought were uh, a compromise, a good compromise. Yeah, so what happens when uh, the appeal reaches the king? He refuses to accept it. So on July 18th, 1775, King George III refuses to accept what's called the Olive Branch, peti the Olive Branch Petition. And the petition was this attempt to suggest a means of resolving disputes between the colonies and Great Britain. So the parliament says, okay, um, no more trade with the colonies. And also, if you see any other ships uh, out on the ocean or even in dock, uh, 
go ahead and seize them. We're fine with that. And so then shortly thereafter, Congress says to Parliament, um, we're actually going to open our ports to other people and anybody except for the British can come in. Yeah. And so with all of this, Great Britain is losing all kinds of authority. They're losing respect. This Congress that had really no official nation that it was representing becomes the de facto national government of of the colonies. So in the midst of all of this, France, obviously not not Great Britain's best friend over there, they're beginning to show their support for the colonies. And the Continental Congress sends a delegate. His name is um, Silas Dean. He was sent over to France in April of 1776. And he's over in Europe, and he's getting all kinds of support from France. And then Spain is like, hey, we agree. Let's support these American colonies. So Congress approves a resolution of independence on July 2nd. And so um, I, I actually read, Jason, that John Hancock goes home and tells his wife, July 2nd is the day that is going to live in infamy. Uh, everybody's going to know about July 2nd, 1776, because that's when we declared independence. And of course, uh, they didn't actually make up a formal declaration uh, and, and a formal explanation of the decision, which was the Declaration of Independence, until July 4th. And then uh, a couple of days later, it gets published in a few papers, and things really start taking off at that point. Yeah, so now we have this independent country. At least, I don't know about you, Ben, but whenever I think July 4th, 1776, I'm thinking, okay, that's the day that everybody is recognizing the United States of America and we're all set and and let's start. But really, it it didn't happen that fast. So, and, and an example of that would be uh, a formal alliance with France that had not actually been formalized until 1778. And what happened there was Congress sent diplomats diplomats to Europe to encourage support for the American cause because. Obviously, the British were not happy by this declaration, so they're, they're fighting this war, and France starts loaning money as a result of this alliance. And keep in mind, during this time, the colonies were still trying to make peace with the British. They didn't necessarily want to still be owned by the British, um, but they didn't want to uh, fight. Uh, and the British said, no, we're not going to do that. We still don't recognize you as independent. And um, we're still going to uh, fight a war uh, on your soil, our soil, really. Yeah. And so formal peace negotiations didn't take place with Britain until after the Confederation Congress, which we'll talk about uh, on another episode. Um, they took over the reins of government in March of 1781. And that was after the Americans secured the victory at Yorktown that we all hear about or have heard about. Um, and that defeat of the British um, actually ended the war. All right, Jason, are you ready to talk about the Articles of Confederation? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so after the Declaration of Independence is formed and made, and uh, there's a new national government, but it doesn't really have any written documentation. Uh, so they need some documentation and some really procedures and formalities to establish the different functions that this new found country will have. Yeah, and there there was really not a lot of consensus that was ever made during this time. 
so the Articles of Confederation really just established a weak central federal government. Uh, it was supposed to prevent the individual states from conducting their own foreign diplomacy. But even in all of that, the individual colonies, then states, uh, they were concerned about losing power to a central institution. And in the midst of all of this, you had uh, states like Georgia who were dealing with an issue on their southern border with Spain. And you had other activities going on. So the Articles of Confederation during this time, it was it was still one of those things that states were just now trying to find really their their place and their function. Right. And and I mean there are um we think of the the colonies once again as this happy go lucky group of people who are okay, well, yeah, we're not connected to England anymore. Um we're gonna be on our own. Let's all agree about everything. This is gonna be great. But no, that's that's really not um not the case. There's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of uh hey, we're not listening to Congress. Uh and they're there are just lots of arguments about the specifics in the Articles of Confederation, um, but there really was a need, and everybody recognized it. There was a need for the formal government to be put into place really quickly to get things back on track so that things didn't crumble back into chaos like they had been before. And throughout the podcast, this series, you'll see that even up until this day, our nation is still struggling through, fighting through some of those issues of how many rights do the states have, what is the role of the federal government, and so on. But during this article of Confederation time, uh, it was really brought to the forefront. And I mean, there are whole political parties formed around this, right, Jason? I mean, uh, there are parties made specifically for um, or not necessarily made specifically for, but that are centralized more towards bigger government, ones that are towards smaller government, ones that are toward no government. Uh, it's really interesting to see the different dynamics. Yeah, and you'll even see different areas where a political party will shift from the desire to have a stronger federal government in this area and a, and a weaker federal government in that area, and, and it ebbs and flows throughout the history of our country. So all of this leads to the formation of the Constitutional Convention, which, of course, formulated our current Constitution. And we'll talk about that in our next episode. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so all of this talk about Articles of Confederation and our next episode being about the Constitutional Convention has me thinking about this. Have you ever been to an art convention? I have been to an art convention. I've been to art galleries, too. Nice. Is it exciting? I mean, if the art's good, it's exciting. If it's not, it's pretty terrible. Hey, what do you think what the first few years of our new republic would have been like if we would have had something like Canva around? Um, I think it would have been pretty spectacular. Uh, who knows? Maybe people would have put... Uh, George Washington's head on um, Jim Belushi's body or something. Who knows? Yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> well, that just so happens to be how we made our logo uh, and pretty much anything else graphically we make for the show, with a few exceptions, uh, by using Canva. Yeah, and Canva is at canva.com, but they have a special offer for our podcast listeners. 
yeah, Canva uh, is totally free. You don't have to pay for it. It's a great graphic editing program uh, that pretty much anybody can use if you can click and drag. Um, but they do have some special features that occasionally you might want to pay a dollar for, and then everything's just a dollar for an image or a setup. And you can get ten free dollars on Canva if you go to electioncollege.com/canva. That's C-A-N-V-A. Yeah, you really need to go over there, and who knows, maybe your Canva-created artwork will appear in a convention someday. Someday, if you're lucky. Your artwork could also appear. Maybe you want to make some art about Election College, and we would put it on our Twitter page at Election College, maybe even our Facebook page at Facebook Election College. Who knows? There could even be Instagram. Yeah, give us a tag on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Is that what no, you actually, say? Actually, just give us a tag. Is that what you say? Give us I a think, tag? Tag us. I don't really. Tag us on Instagram or something. Um, more importantly than all of that, except for the Canva part, uh, please go leave us a review on iTunes. Um, use the stars. Leave a written review. Uh, it really helps us out, and we will love you. Yeah, and hit the subscribe button, would you? Yeah, we're really tired of waiting on you all one episode into this thing. <laughs> Just subscribe already. All right, well, that's all I have. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Jason. And we thank you very much for listening. See ya. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.